the book of 1 Samuel, and we're going to be looking at chapter 3 this morning. We are in our series in this wonderful Old Testament narrative. We're going to be in chapter 3. Many years ago, in the years between 1845 and 1852, Ireland faced what was called the the, the Great Hunger or the Great Famine. It was was a period of starvation and disease in that country, known as one of the worst uh, in Europe's history. Kind of in that mid-1800s, the potato became a food staple for most people. And uh, unfortunately, there was a, a mold, a, a blight that came, and it wiped out this, this uh, valuable crop that was so dependent then. And along with the disease, there was all these other factors, political and land management issues that just compounded this trub- the trouble there, which led to an estimated one million people dying. Another one million people immigrated from Ireland, which left close to a quarter of that population gone out of that that country, which is just astounding. And the, many people died because of starvation, but the starvation uh, compounded with malnutrition led to all of kinds of extreme chronic diseases that just, just was unbelievable uh, crisis there. And because of the famine, it, this led to this, this catastrophic pain and loss and death in this nation. There was some imagery here that I think connects to what we've been coming to understand this historical context in this condition in Israel. They they have a catastrophic issue there. Sin, chaos, leaderless. We read, remember in the conclusion of Judges chapter 21, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Whatever truth they thought, whatever they wanted to follow, they, they did this. And as we saw last week, In our text, the condition spiritually, the spiritual rot of the priesthood, who were supposed to be the very ones who held up holiness and righteousness, there was chronic spiritual malnutrition, disease of the heart that impacted this whole nation. So there was a different kind of disease that was in Israel in this time, and a famine that pervaded Israel when there was no true spiritual guidance for Israel particularly from God's Word. And this was all about the change as God's provision is about to come through His Word through the prophet Samuel. Now, we're going to be in chapter 3 today. Before we do, just considering a couple links that we saw in chapter 2 last week that, is, that will lead us up to where we are this, this morning. We witnessed Eli, who was at that time acting as judge and priest, He's now old, and his sons, if you remember, they were supposed to be functioning as holy priests as well, and that was certainly not the case. Hophni and Phinehas, they treated God's sacrifice with contempt. They're sleeping with women at the tabernacle. They're stealing people's food. They're abusing. They're bullying. Eli gives this partial sort of attempt at rebuking his sons, but it was sort of a dismal attempt a man of God comes and speaks a prophetic word of judgment that's coming to Eli's house, and, and it's not a good word. Um, and yet in all of this darkness, there, there's hope. In contrast to Eli and his sons, another son was being raised up, Samuel. And notice this beautiful pattern in chapter 2, which will set us up for chapter 3. 
these, t- these statements that we saw throughout the chapter. And the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. Samuel was ministering before the Lord. And the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature, in favor with the Lord, and also with man. And then we are going to see here in verse 1, now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. What do we see? We see God growing. We see God maturing. There is ministry. There is a heart for and before God. Favor and mercy is present. A a judgment that should come not just to Eli and his family, but to all of Israel. God is sending hope by raising up a priest, a judge, a prophet who's going to speak his word. As we follow through our text as we read this morning, it's going to unfold like any good story does unfold that presents a setting and a problem, an agent chosen to solve that. There's going to be tension and then this conflict resolved. And, and as we read this morning, I want you to think about that statement of God's Word, the Word of the Lord as we read. So let's begin in chapter 3, verse 1, and we're going to read through the first portion of chapter 4, verse 1. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the Word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called to Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go Lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity for he knew, that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel laid until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. 
May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me, all of it that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and none of his words fall and let none of his words fall to the ground and all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord and the Lord appeared again at Shiloh for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord and the word of Samuel came to all Israel let's pray Well, Lord, we, we heard your words earlier this morning that your words are spirit and life. And Peter's words were, he said, we, where can we go? You have the words of life. Lord, we, we come this morning knowing that when we hear your words spoken, we read your words, we, we hear Scripture read. We, we are hearing Your voice, Lord, to us. And so, Lord, let us hear this morning You. Let us believe, Lord. Let us respond in trust and obedience today as we hear Your words to us. For Your words are our spirit and life, Lord. So come, come and let us hear, let us believe, let us trust, let us live. Amen. Amen. So, what is the presenting problem? Well, the problem we see is in verse 1. Following chapters 1 and 2, we, we read this, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. There's a, there's a famine. There's a, there's a silence of God's word to Israel. They they had the law, but there was no word guiding and leading and preserving his people being spoken by a prophet. No frequent vision or, or seeing or revelation of the word to God's people. It was rare. It was rare. It was happening. We did see that just in the last chapter. God spoke through an unnamed man in chapter 2. And the irony is that it was to the judge and the priest who should know God's word and know God's heart. The likely reason it was rare is because of Israel's sinful condition. The, the silence was an experience of God's judgment, His withholding. We actually read later from the prophet Amos these very things. I think that connects it very well. God says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, from north to east. They shall run to and fro and seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. A withholding of God's word, not hearing God's word, not hear, responding to God's word, leads people wandering, lost, in famine, going to and fro with no vision, not a lack of food, but a lack of hearing and responding and trusting and obeying God's words. This was the current condition of Israel. This, this was the current condition of the spiritual leadership of Israel. Earlier, we, we, we just read in, in our chapter, you may have noticed Eli, he's, he's old, 
and he, his eyesight is about to go. It, it's dim. He, he could not even see clearly. And then there's this reference to the lamp that, of God they had not yet gone out. The, the lampstand, which should burn perpetually there in the tabernacle. It, it's almost like there's this flickering. It's about to go out. No eyes, no seeing, no revelation. The light is almost gone. Eli was supposed to be holding out truth, and the word is about gone. There's no faithful successor. His, his boys are horrible and evil. You almost feel, you feel the tension. We should feel the tension. If the word vanishes completely, it is collapse for the people of God. The death of Israel. They need His Word. God's people were always to need His Word. He told Israel that ultimately what He was teaching them in the Exodus and their dependence on the manna in Deuteronomy 8. And He humbled you and He let you hunger and feed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that He might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. To not have God's Word was to starve and to die. To have God's Word from the Lord to receive, to believe, and to follow was to have life. And here, a a nation under judgment, a priesthood under judgment, God is merciful to send His Word. Merciful to that sinful people, we see God as at at work. The lamp was not going to go out, and the young Samuel is there sleeping in the temple. It even says where the ark was, which is the representation of God's presence. The law is stored in the ark. We see this connection. God's Word is about to unfold. He's going to bring hope by bringing His Word, but He needs someone. And God calls forth a prophet. Just as God has called forth other leaders for His redemptive purposes, we hear God calling out to Samuel. The Lord speaks. He calls Samuel's name in the middle of the night. And we see this repetition of what happens. He gets up. He says, here I am. He goes to Eli. Eli says, I didn't say anything to you. Go back to bed. I did not call you. And Samuel goes back to bed. As I was just sort of studying this week and meditating on this, I just... I just had to chuckle, but like before a parent being a parent, I didn't realize what a miracle this very event was. Child enters the room in the middle of the night, you say, go back to bed, and they just go back to bed. <laughs> like, this is a miracle. God happened several times. It ain't that easy. Well, this is what happens again and again, and, and as a reader who was first hearing or you're listening to this story, you might think, oh no, like, is this going to happen again? Another sort of deaf uh, leader who is not going to hear the Word of God and realize this is the Lord? The Verse 7 clues us in of what's, what's happening. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the Word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. So allow that to kind of stick in your minds. The revelation of who God is, to know Him, is directly connected to the Word of the Lord. Samuel did not yet know to discern the Lord's voice. 
the words of the Lord as a prophet. The revelation of who God is had not yet come fully in his hearing and responding to the Lord's words. So so we we should be observing here. We need to observe. To know the Lord is to know him by his revelation in his word. But I love the yet there. He did not yet. Samuel was growing. Samuel was learning. God was at work bringing his hope. And the third time God calls Samuel, this time Eli, though he is old, he does discern something's going on. He's, he needs to be hearing the, the Lord. This is the Lord speaking. And he tells young Samuel, when you hear it again, say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And the fourth time, the Lord calls out again, Samuel, Samuel. And it says the Lord came and stood there this time. God comes close. Possibly, not only is he hearing him audibly, Samuel is encountering the Lord visually. God is right there, present. Samuel, Samuel, this is this repetition of what God has done in calling others before. Abraham, Abraham, Jacob, Jacob. What we saw in the previous man identified as a prophet. Moses, Moses. This is significant. And just like Moses who said, here I am, Samuel hears this divine summons and he, he also says, speak, Lord, your servant hears. The divine summon comes. And Samuel's entering into this, this long line of prophets, which should be the, pro, the, the, the posture of the prophet's heart. Speak, Lord, your servant hears. And God does speak His word to him. The prophetic word comes. The Lord speaks. And you probably caught on to this. As the Lord is speaking to Samuel, it, it really is a restatement of what the man of God had already spoken to Eli, a punishment that would come to end his house. Why is this? Well, it's possibly that God is establishing through sort of this double witness of these testimonies of what really was going to take place. And God is about to do a thing in Israel that will make ears tingle. What is the thing? Well, the thing is God speaking through the words of his prophet, and there is going to be tingling ears that takes place. That's a very strange statement, tingling ears. Well, it actually shows up in a couple other places in Scripture. One is in 2 Kings, when God is declaring judgment on Jerusalem and destroying it because of King Manasseh's evil, that ears were tingling. And then also in Habakkuk, the same verb is used with reference to quivering lips. This news, this tingling, is not like ear massages. This is this is nothing good that is going on. This is, this is judgment. This is judgment because of the, the sacrifice that was being treated with contempt. And there was going to, be, going to be no atonement available for this. Those who reject over and over despising God's offer of forgiveness will only be hardened to judgment. We considered that last week and even looked at Hebrews' warning that even those who reject Jesus' offer of forgiveness again and again and trample on the Son's blood, there will be no hope. This is a heavy message. I mean, imagine young Samuel. This, I mean, this is his first sort of hearing 
from the Lord. And this is the message he receives. Holy stuff. It even says he's fear, this is a fearful word for him. Imagine being the young boy and then knowing this is regarding the, this elder priest, this spiritual leader, a, a father in a sense for him. Truth that is hard. It, this is the tension for the prophet. This is the tension for the prophet of speaking God's truth, especially when it is a hard truth. It's been said that, that preaching should afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. Truth can be a balm, but truth also comes and it has to break. And Eli demands Samuel that he would speak God's word. Do not hide it. And Samuel spoke everything. He hid nothing. This here is a, a model for the prophet. Obediently speaking all of God's word, whoever that may need to go to, and regardless of how, how hard that word is and its repercussions. And what is, what is Eli's response? He hears again the word of judgment against him, and he said, it is, it is the Lord. Let, it, let him do what seems good to him, verse 18. Seems kind of an unusual response to me. I mean, in one way that's commendable, a model for those who hear God's word, even a model, I think, probably for those future kings to come, let it be, Lord, whatever you say, however hard that feels, it is your good word. But it almost feels like there's maybe embedded in there a lingering question, like an absence of contrition or brokenness on his part. But it is the Lord's word, and it is what he sees good. So we come then to, in verses 19 and 21, Remember at the beginning, there was the absence of word, the famine of the word, there was no vision, and here the word has come. God calls the prophet, the prophet heard, the prophet speaks, and then we read in verse 19, and Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, and the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all of Israel. So the word of the Lord came where Samuel did not know what was going on. The word came, God had revealed himself to him, and now he went and spoke the word of God. And no word fell. Nothing fell to the ground. In other words, all that he spoke came true. This is proof that he was a true prophet. And it came from the top of Israel, Dan, to the bottom of Beersheba, meaning the whole, the whole nation, the word came to all of Israel, and all of Israel recognized this was the prophet of God. Samuel is the image of a faithful prophet. He hears the word, he speaks the word, and he communicates, even though it may be a hard word, and Deuteronomy 18 tells us and he, that this is what a faithful prophet should do, a description. He shall speak them all that I command him. Here, the prophet has come. Just, just remember our context here of what was going on in Israel. God's answer to the crisis in Israel, the brokenness, the leadershipless, uh, leadershipless country and nation, directionless, sinful 
rebellious, in His mercy, what did He do? He brings His Word to restore and save. The famine is broken. The Word has come. The central thing that we were looking at in our passage, the Word of the Lord has come. God was speaking. And this is what God has always done. God speaks and life comes. We, we just look at the very first pages of Scripture. God said, life, creation comes. God speaks and creates. He calls His covenant into covenant relationship as He calls to Abraham. And He calls and reveals Himself to His words through Moses. He speaks and gives Israel His ten commandments to guide and lead them, instruct them in, in His law, guide them in what faithful worship was to be in their community. God's words are essential and always were essential to the life of His people in death without His words. A question that could come on the front of this, we've been, only, we've been in the Samuel for three chapters now, and there's, there's, this, there's no picture of a king yet. We haven't encountered kings. You know, we know we're going to be getting to kings. Well, why is that? Well, Samuel's role was sort of a kingmaker. He's going to anoint Saul and then David. And you know, what we need to see is God's Word is what is most important to guide the heart of Israel and the heart of the king. If they miss that, it all will fall apart in crisis again. Commentator David Samura summarizes it this way. He says, Thus, 1 Samuel sets the principle that the king in Israel is to be subject to the prophet through whom God conveys his word. In other words, the obedience to the word of God is the necessary condition for a king acceptable to the God of Israel. So the king, Israel, were to be under the great king, God's words through his prophet. It's the necessary condition of faithfulness in life in the nation and for the king. But if, you, if we note, and you know Israel's history, and fortunately after king after king, with some success and faithfulness, but mostly turned from God's word and they rejected God's prophets. And what did God do continually, faithfully? He sent his word. He sent his word. He sends his word through his prophet and, and much like Samuel at the beginning and a long uh, failure of kings, God would continue to sing, send his word to his people so that they could find life. Back in chapter 2, we read this of Samuel. He grew both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. What is astounding is we, we almost hear the exact words Many, many years later, another boy came. He was actually in the temple speaking God's word, teaching in his father's house. And Luke records this. And Jesus increased in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God and man. We should be making a connection here. Something new is coming. God's word is coming to God's people. God has revealed himself fully in this one that has come. Who is this? This is the person of Jesus Christ. And this is the deal. Jesus didn't just come as another prophet, but He is God's very Word to God's people. 
He is God and He is the Word. That's what John 1 tells us. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. To encounter Christ, to see Christ, is to see the very Word. And His words that He speaks are the very words of God. At Jesus' baptisms, baptism, at the start of His ministry, the heavens opened and the Father spoke from heaven these words, This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. Hear Him. Jesus is this faithful prophet that would come and speak a better word than all the prophets before Him. Hebrew tells us this, Long ago and many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son. Jesus is the Word. The Word by which God has most fully revealed His plans and purposes and means of salvation. It is by God's Word that we come to know God. Revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So what what do we most need? What we most need is God revealed in Jesus, in His Gospel, by the Word. Still then and still now, we need God's revelation of Himself through the person and work of Jesus by the Word. How are God's people now made healthy and alive? It is when we hear and receive His Word, the words of Christ. And this is what's astounding and amazing. If, if, you, if you hear the words of God and you have come to know Christ through those words, that is an astounding mercy and love. To a people that, like Israel, didn't deserve this kind of revelation, and yet God speaks, and He has caused our hearts to know and believe. This is radical grace, saints. We just need to pause and ponder that for a moment, that He would bring His Word, and He would reveal Himself to be known and to believed upon, especially a people who don't deserve that and have rejected Him, and we've come to know Him through what Peter would say, where can we go, Lord? Only you have the words of life. So if you are not among that group that walked away, but you were the disciple to say, yes, Jesus, your words have life, this is grace upon your heart. Grace that has come in Jesus. But we can ask ourselves, is there, is there a famine that would reflect similar to Israel. I don't think we can, we can't say in the same way, given we have the fullness of God's Word revealed to us in Jesus. We don't need, we don't need a new Word to come to us because we have Christ in the Scriptures. But we can find ourselves in a place of famine when we don't feed upon His Word. I think a helpful challenge comes from, from author Dale Ralph Davis. He says this, starvation may not come from the absence of food, but from the lack of appetite. But God's Word, written, preached, welcomed, is the token of God's grace to His people. What we need, church, we need our hearts to be in a similar posture of what we heard Samuel. Here I am, Lord. Speak for Your servant hears. And we move in faith to the Word. To, to the word. And remember that there, there is devastating effects for the church and for our own our hearts when we don't have God's Word as a priority of the thing that we are 
most needing and we need to feed upon. But we can all find our, ourself in a place of, of hunger or, or famine, famished maybe, by our neglect, by, by not the word's lack of power, but our distractions or our indifference. Or may we not find our hearts like, like Eli's sons, hardened and deaf to God's word. So I think a helpful challenge for us all to ask, is there a famine in our own soul by a neglect of not feeding upon His Word? We need His Word. We need His Word to to come and counter our unbelief. We need His Word to come and bring hope when we are suffering and pain. We need His Word to come and chisel and break away the hardness that comes because of sin and to free us in hope when there is condemnation speaking loud to us our hearts. It is, it is God's mercy that we hunger for His Word. It is His grace that we would hunger for His Word. And when we don't feel that, we can come to Him and plead for His help. We need the Spirit to break in to our hearts to do that. We can ask. We can pray. Lord, help, help me believe. Help me to hunger. Help me to trust. Help me to see and to feel the sweetness and the power of your word where we can hear Jesus speaking and see him and encounter him on every page. We can pray with the psalmist, Lord, open, open, Lord, our eyes to behold the wondrous things that are in your word. What a gift, church. What a gift, church, that we have his word. But we, we are not in a place of famine in the sense that we don't have access. We have his word here. With our, the resources, the, the books, the things we can come t- and experience, the fullness of what Jesus has done is, is a grace to us. Can we thank God for that? Can we thank God for that? May the word become central for us. So we need that for us personally, and we need to be remember, reminded that we are bringers of God's Word to each other. We get the gift and the honor uh, and privilege to come and bring the Word to one another. If that's a Sunday in preaching, if that's in a D group where we're communicating and sharing in the Word of God together, if that's in discipleship and other places, if that's in our home with our children, we get this gift to share in the words of life together. Let us keep being bringers of the word to each other. So we, we see and we savor God's word revealed to us. We tend to our hearts. We bring it to our brothers and sisters and church. This is, this is also the truth. There's a world around us in our sphere. There are neighbors and friends and family that we need, they need to encounter Christ through the word. And we are commissioned by Jesus to go into the world to make disciples, teaching, proclaiming his gospel, Christ in the word to those around us. We each have that commission. We each have that responsibility. We go knowing that it's not our perfect articulation of that that brings life. It is the gospel that saves. It is the word that we proclaim, which is Christ himself. So saints, for us to know the Lord is to know him by the revelation of his word And by his word, we encounter Christ and find life. What a gift that we get to receive that, believe, and worship. And Lord, by the Lord's grace, we get to go with his word to to a lost world. Let's be faithful to receive. Let our our hearts, hopefully today, find a place of worship and gratitude that that if we can open up 
these scriptures and encounter Christ and believe and trust in him, it is God's mercy to us. There is much to give thanks for. And for us to feel the burden to know, Lord, we need to be bearers and bringers of the word. And there is a lost world who needs to hear that. And God, you've called us to that. So Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word that you have brought to us. Lord, for, for, us, for our eyes to be opened like Jesus, you did with your disciples on that road. That, that their eyes, eyes could see and that you were able to teach Jesus from the beginning to the end of Scripture. Everything pointed to, to you. God, we, we are thankful. We're thankful that our hearts could trust and know. And, and like Samuel, that we've come to know the Lord because you have revealed yourself to us in the Scriptures and we have beheld Christ. Thank you for that, Lord. Center our hearts, Lord, around the Word. Let us be, let us be gospel people that, who, who are able to feast and feed continually on your Word, Lord. And any, any ounce of hunger and desire for us to move towards to feed upon your Word is an act of your kindness and goodness. Would you increase our appetite? Would you increase our hunger for your Word? Or would you increase our ability and and and? Uh, in faith to move towards each other as bringers of the word to one another, Lord, and also as those who need to go as, as your people on your mission, Jesus, to the world around us, who, for those who need to hear the word, to trust and encounter Christ, trust on and encounter Christ through your word. Thank you for your word. Fill us up deeply with more with your word. Amen.